Hello and welcome back to another episode of True Crime Bookcast where we talk nothing about books. Sorry, so misleading in the name. Um, Hopefully we'll get around to changing that soon. Um, Anyways, this is a, what is it, twofer? Part two of a two series episode about... Teresa Hallback and Stephen Avery. Last episode, I misspoke in the very beginning, and I said something about, you know, discussing what the defense said, but obviously, if you listen to the episode, it was the prosecution I spoke about last episode. So this episode, we are going to talk about the defense of, you know... I'm sorry, that was my dog. <laughs> if you heard him, he was growling. Um, the defense of um, Stephen Avery. <clears throat> uh, I also mentioned the website that I was getting a bunch of information from, including the court transcripts. Uh, I did write that down this time. It is stephenaverycase.org. If you did want to... Go in there and take a look because it is, you know, so much information. It literally goes through the trial day by day and you get the transcripts from every single day of the trial. Not only that, they provide you with um, the evidence used, like pictures and stuff. And so it's really informative and really, really cool if you're interested in going into it a little bit more because like I previously said I just took a look at the closing arguments of both the defense and the prosecution and that alone was two days of trial and it's like over 400 500 pages of transcripts to go through so without further ado we'll go ahead and get into this um I took some like very uh, brief notes about what the defense said, and I believe the first part of this is from Stevens defense attorney Dean Strang, and the other one is Jerry Buting, Budding, Buting, I think. Um, but I think his is the second part of the notes that I took. So, um, really, what he did in the closing argument was just lay out several different reasons why Stephen Avery just purely acted like an innocent man. So the first things that he said was that, you know, when uh, Teresa was reported missing, the officers from Manitowoc County came to Stephen's trailer and then, you know, Stephen was very cooperative. He volunteered to let them look around and um, I think it was even testified that one of the officers said that he was exceptionally cooperative for them to be on his property that night and even the following day. So with that being said, Stephen's given them permission to come onto his property and search his trailer and, you know, whatever, what have you. So he didn't try to hide the fact that he had Trace's cell phone number in two places in his trailer, <clears throat> just out in the open, you know, he, you know, is presuming his own innocence and saying that he is innocent, so he's not trying to hide these things. 
He also didn't hide or dispose of the guns in the trailer, which is what, you know, they have concluded was the murder weapon of Teresa Halbach. It was that she was shot in the head, and that's what essentially killed her. He didn't try to dispose of any of the burn barrels on the property, which, as you know, her belongings, the camera, the cell phone, the Palm Pilot, were found in those burn barrels, or one of them, <clears throat> and along with fragments of her bones. So he didn't try to get rid of those. He didn't crush her car, and he has, you know, a car crusher on the lot, which they said they found her car near the car crusher. Well, if it was there, you know, why didn't he crush it? He had essentially four days to do so because she um, was missing or um, was murdered Halloween and wasn't reported missing for four days. So he has the span of four days where he just sits with this car on his property right next to the car crusher. Why not just crush it? <clears throat> and then also linked to the car, why would he keep Teresa's key in his trailer? Why not leave it in the car or burn it like the rest of her belongings that he's being accused of burning? Another argument that the defense attorney uses is that he didn't lure her out to the property. So he called and asked her to come photograph a van. Okay, that van is real. She did come out there to photograph that van. So if he was just trying to get her out there so he could murder her, why actually even have something real for her to photograph? Why not just make up something? You know, hey, I got this 67 Volkswagen or, you know, whatever it is you want to make up. Can you come photograph it? But no, he actually had this van that he was trying to get rid of. <clears throat> um, another point is that a witness saw, you know, a vehicle similar or the same to Teresa's RAV4 leaving the Avery property. The guy who is the witness for this who testified has no relation to anybody in the case. You know, he was just working. You know, he didn't keep a, he wasn't like particularly, particularly looking for Teresa's car. So he can't say indefinitely that this was her RAV4 leaving the property. Um, but he does say, you know, obviously it's similar or something, you know, he does remember seeing a vehicle leave that property. <clears throat> um, there are also other testimonies that contradict Bobby's, Dassey's testimony, and he said that Teresa was there at 245. Um, all these other testimonies that contradict this put Teresa there at 330-ish, give or take. <clears throat> so Bobby, in his testimony, claims that Stephen was burning something in the burn barrel at around 345. So that's just 15 minutes after these other witnesses put Teresa Halbach on Stephen Avery's property. I'm really sorry if you hear my dog in the background. He's jumping on and off the couch because he's eating. And when it's a tile floor, and yeah, I'm sorry. Um, okay, so moving on. 
the phone calls they brought up. The defense brought up the phone calls because the state is saying that the reason why Stephen made this last phone call to Teresa's cell phone was for an alibi. However, the defense argues that if Stephen realizes that the police or the investigators, whoever, are going to look into Teresa's cell phone records and see that he called her that one time, they're going to also see that he called her multiple other times during the day. So why would he even draw attention to that? Why would he want that phone call to come into play, let alone for it to be an alibi for him? Um, let's see. Oh, Stephen also spoke to his girlfriend twice that day. Um, one time was around 5.30 and the other time was around 9. They spoke for about 15 minutes each time and the phone calls, of course, were recorded because, um, Stephen's girlfriend was in the Mantua County Jail. So Sergeant Colburn... <clears throat> This is something that they do bring up in the um, making a murderer. <clears throat> and, you know, it's something that they do refer to in the trial about Sar Sergeant Colburn calling about Trace's license plate number. So he claims that he called on the 3rd when he was working. So he was working November 3rd. However, Detective Raymiker, I'm sorry if I butchered that says that, you know, when, when police officers are on duty, they typically use their police radio to make contact with whoever they need to, the dispatch or whatever. <clears throat> Sergeant Colburn called from his cell phone. So the defense is suggesting that Colburn actually called and asked about the license plate November 4th, which was his day off. And so that's why he called um, from his cell phone. And they also say that the nature of the call suggests that Colburn came across the plate because he should have gone to the investigator to get the information about Teresa's car. I'm sure they go into a lot more detail about um, specifically why this is something that the defense notes is very important. I just didn't get into it too much. <clears throat> All right, so also, let's see, Manitowoc County already had Stephen in custody 30 minutes after the first police officer arrived at Trace's vehicle that the volunteers um, found on his property. So it was like he was never presumed innocent. They were just going after him, like, immediately, too. So this was a, um, this lady, Sherry Colhane, I want to say her name is, <clears throat> little background, she is the one that, um, I believe she, you know, helped put Stephen Avery in jail. <clears throat> yes, it was her. So she's the one previously when he was wrongfully convicted that said, you know, the fibers found or the hair found matched Stephen Avery on this, um, poor lady who was sexually assaulted on the beach. So that was her that said that, you know, this hair was consistent with Stephen Avery. Yada, yada, yada. You know, he spends 18 whatever years in jail. But she's also the one that ended up exonerating, help exonerated 
I'm sorry. She's also the one that helped exonerate Stephen Avery of that very same crime. <clears throat> so she's back in the picture here. And um, from what I gathered, she has been doing, you know, forensics for 23 years. Okay, and it just so happens that the only DNA that they found of Teresa Halbach, she contaminated with her own DNA. They go into specifics about this, you know, extro I'm sorry, controlled um, examinations, um, experiments, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They go into detail about this. <clears throat> but this is like a huge deal. So, and I think... Um, we may come back to her um, later on in my notes, but I don't know. So there are also some major inconsistencies with Lieutenant Lank, Scott Tadick, and Blaine Dassey's testimonies. All three of these testimonies changed. Okay, Scott Tadick and... Um, Blaine Dassey essentially needed each other for their alibi. Their alibis relied on each other. It was something about a hunting trip. But if you look at the timeline, and if you know anything about hunting, it doesn't make sense. So, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's just, it, I think it was like, ended up being like a two-hour hunting trip. And the time that they left was just weird. Doesn't make sense. And then Lieutenant Lank, he, um, I think it was him, yeah, that actually lied under oath. You know, he originally stated that he was at Teresa's Halbach's car at this specific time. However, he later changed that to like five hours later because they did have a communications log or you know, a log of who came in and out of the crime scene, that when he said that he got there, he never signed in. And so there's something wonky going on there, too. And he, he literally changed his story in the courtroom. So, you know, the state, the prosecution, their story says that Stephen killed Teresa in his garage and then burned her body. So, and I believe this is from <clears throat> Strang, the defense attorney. This is, this is his closing arguments. So, if he did this, why was Teresa's blood found in the car? Okay, because the way that the blood was found in the car, it was she was shot in the head, not in the car, but it was then moved to the car. Okay, so... It, puts Teresa in the back of her own vehicle being transported in her own car. So why would Stephen need to transport her from the house to the burn pit, which was, I think, 20, it was either 20 yards or 20 feet away. So why would he do this? Why would he need to put Teresa in the car? <clears throat> So there's also evidence that's, you know, that suggests that Teresa's body was not even burned at Stephen Avery's trailer, okay? But her bone fragments were brought back and then dumped into the burn pit. <clears throat> so 
they're saying, you know, and, you know, they found bones in a quarry. They found bones in one of the burn barrels. And then, of course, they found bones in the burn pit. So they're suggesting that Teresa was originally burned maybe at the quarry and then transported in the burn barrel and then dumped into Stephen Avery's burn pit. Okay, so, yeah, so in the, the three areas, only four, no, I'm sorry, scratch that. So in Stephen Avery's burn pit, only 40% of her remains were found in there. <clears throat> okay. They kept talking, the prosecution kept talking about rivets from her jeans being found in there. But, I mean, these are tiny little, I don't know if you've ever noticed the rivets on your jeans. They're so tiny. And they didn't find all of them. They only found some of them. But then they didn't find the actual button to her pants. So why would the rivets be in there? If he just tossed her in the burn pit, you know, you would find all of that stuff. <clears throat> but when she was being transported, you know, it's possible that from the original burn site that they didn't transfer all of her, you know, ashes and her button from her jeans, for lack of a better sentence coming out of my mouth. Um... They weren't able to transfer that. They missed it, whatever. So that's why it wasn't found in his barn pit. Okay, her keys were not found. She had other keys of on her set of keys that a witness described, but those weren't found. So what happened to those keys? And also, during this investigation, no photos were taken of the remains while they were in the burn pit. The pictures of the remains are from, they're in boxes. They've been picked up. And this was done by the county. This wasn't done by, you know, professional forensic scientists and stuff. So it's definitely a compromise of the crime scene. And, you know, there's expert testimony saying that this definitely has an impact on what they were able to determine from what evidence they were given. Now, let's go to the blood and the rav. <clears throat> so there was Stephen Halbach, or I'm so sorry. Stephen Avery's blood was found in her rav four. So um, Strang says, you know, you mean to tell me that Stephen took the time to wipe his fingerprints off of all the car, but not his blood? Okay. So the fingerprints that were found in the RAV were unidentified and found in very, very incriminating places, such as, you know, if you're going to open the back hatch, that handle. So when they were looking at these fingerprints, they were unidentified, meaning really what I got from it, they didn't match Stephen Avery, they didn't match Teresa Halbach. However, they did not try to match these fingerprints to Lieutenant Link or Sergeant Colburn. Um, also, when the RAV was found, no one saw any blood inside of it. Okay, His blood vial was not locked away with 
the evidence that, you know, for other cases, how it typically would be. But it was left out on the clerk's counter because, you know, all these people were asking to see it, including, like, the press. And it's not just about that hole in the top of the vial. Okay, the evidence tape was cut and taped back together. The blood of the the vial of blood had been opened. And they could tell this because there was blood in between the seal and then, you know, like the glass or whatever it is. So it wasn't just about the hole in the top of the vial. It, that wasn't it. <clears throat> okay. Um, and then they weren't able to really link Teresa in any way to the inside of Stephen Avery's trailer. Okay. So there was not a single piece of DNA evidence to make this connection. So the state comes back and says Stephen cleaned up the bleach, cleaned up with bleach after killing Teresa in his garage. There was an interesting part in the defense's argument about how the carpet was ripped up. And so they were able to tell where that bleach was because it soaked into the pad of the carpet and stuff. But there was no blood. And that would have, you know, obviously sank through. They would have been able to get DNA from somewhere in those layers of the carpet, whatever it is, okay? But there was no blood. <clears throat> um, let's see. Oh, and they also claim, you know, that Stephen shot her in the garage and then cleaned up, you know, whatever. But then days, days, maybe months later, they find shell casings in the garage. So why would Stephen clean up all of this evidence to where it was like spotless to not a single piece of DNA evidence of Teresa Halbach was in his trailer, yet he wouldn't clean up the gun shell casings or bullets. Okay. Um, also, they didn't find the key to Teresa's rap for until the 8th of November, which this was the seventh search of his trailer. And I spoke a little bit about it before, how Calumet County was actually taking the lead on the investigation away from Manitowoc County. So there was an officer there from Calumet County, Officer Tyson, who was essentially like a babysitter for these Manitowoc County police officers. He had to keep an eye on them, you know, make sure that nothing, um, what is that? That they weren't doing anything that they shouldn't have been doing. However, this day, the 8th of November, was the one day that Officer Tyson was not there to watch them. There was still another officer there, but it was not Officer Tyson. So this is the day that Lieutenant Link or Sergeant Colburn or whoever it was says they found the key. However, there's no DNA of Teresa's anywhere to be found on the key, and they didn't just take a small swab. They really got into this. You know, they really wanted to be able to put Trace's DNA on that key. They couldn't find any. 
And then, let's see. So, I don't have the exact date for this, but it says four months after Manitowoc County is no longer needed in the investigation, Lieutenant Link shows up to the crime scene for no reason at all. And then, magically that day, the bullet was found. And this was very obvious where it was found. It was found in, like... You know how they have, um, like, splits in cement? Sometimes you put, um, like, cardboard. I'm sure that's not what it is, but it's, like, cardboard in there. So cement can ex expand and not crack, whatever. It was found in one of those cracks in the middle of the garage, from what I understood. So you're telling me that these officers, on the seventh search... Oh, I'm sorry, that was the key found. I'm sorry. Scratch that. But you're telling me that these... Okay, so they were searching for two hours. You're telling me that that day they searched for two hours and they did not find that bullet until Lieutenant Link showed up when he's not even supposed to be there. A little bit fishy. There were also no fingerprints done on the bullets or the shell casings that were found. And an expert testified that he could not prove that the bullet found matched the 22 that they claimed killed Teresa Hallback. There were also no picture comparisons shown in court. And these are things, some of these things, and this happens frequently in, in cases where, you know, you're like, well, why didn't the defense asked to see those whatever it has something to do with the prosecution they have to be the ones to ask for that I'm not a lawyer by any means I don't know much of anything about that but it has something to do with if the prosecution doesn't ask for that to be evidence the state can't you know say no I want those pictures I could be wrong if I am feel free to correct me Mm, let's see. Okay, and then, um, so one thing that the state also discussed in their closing argument was Stephen's DNA under the hood latch of the car. This wasn't found until months and months later. And it wasn't found during the initial inspection of the car that was done by none other than Sherry Colhang. The same one that contaminated Teresa Hobbock's DNA with her own. Or what they wanted it to be, whatever. So, the defense asked, what's the motive for Stephen Avery to kill Teresa Hobbock? I mean, he was in the middle of a lawsuit against Manitowoc County for a lot of money. So why would he risk that? Why would he risk going back to prison? Why would he risk not having this money? So why wouldn't he have crushed the car before it was found five days later? Um, and he obviously knew that the police were looking at him. So if he knew that the police were going to be coming after him, don't you think he would have gotten rid of the car, gotten rid of the key, you know, whatever it is. And then um, there was another thing that they discussed, and it was about a voicemail that was deleted. They didn't get into really any detail about this in the closing argument, but it's not the first time I heard about this. And, you know, it has to do with um, the voicemail box of Teresa Hallbach was supposedly full at one point, yet 
you know, and it ended up not being, I, it was, it's a mess. I don't know. This case is so involved. There's so much to it too. I mean, again, all this information I literally just got from their closing statements. <clears throat> there are, of course, you know, other suspects that they looked at. And of course, Brandon Dassey also plays a role in this whole thing as he was tried as well. Um, however, I didn't get into Brendan Dassey because it is really such an involved case and it's, there's just so much to it. So the verdict, if you don't know, they um, found him guilty of first degree murder. They found him guilty of possession of a firearm, but they found him not guilty of mutilating a corpse. <clears throat> A lot of people, I mean, there's obviously huge advocacy groups out there for Stephen Avery and, you know, them saying that he's innocent, what have you. You know, and it's not, it's definitely not my place to say whether or not he's innocent or guilty. I think that there are a lot of things that, you know, we obviously don't know. And unfortunately, though, you know, somebody's life was still lost, you know. It, I think it was Strang brought up in his very beginning of his closing argument about how, you know, whatever they come back with, guilty or innocent, they're not solving a murder case. You know, they want, of course, to get justice for Teresa Halbach, but, you know, if convicting an innocent man is what you call justice, you know, it's not if he's innocent, right? You know, so it's just, there's, again, like I said, a lot to it. And if you're interested, again, the website was stephenaverycase.org. And they just have so much information to sift through. Like, it's, it's overwhelming. But, I mean, there's good stuff in there. <clears throat> um... And that's all we have for this week. Go ahead and let us know what you think. You can find us, you know, on all your social media stuff. Just look for our name. That doesn't make any sense. And thank you for listening. Bye.